Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. How many of you would say you're thankful that when you called, God came to your rescue and answered you right where you are? It's good news. It's the gospel. It's the power of the gospel of Jesus. It's about 5.20 p.m. in Kandahar, Afghanistan right now. And uh, we want to stand shoulder to shoulder with brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan who are being persecuted on incredible levels. Things that we're not hearing about in the news, but things that are certainly being reported through Christian organizations and agencies where the church in Afghanistan is under attack as the Taliban reclaims territory after our troops withdraw from that region. And so we just wanna take a minute this morning as we gather to pray and just say, God, would you also come to the answer and the rescue of your people in that place? So would you just join me in prayer this morning right where you are? And Father, God, we just praise you this morning for being such a good God, a God who hears our prayers, who knows our deepest needs, and feels our hurts and our pains. Father, you know the needs of your people. And God, we just want to stand as brothers and sisters in Christ with people on the other side of the world that we've never met but we know are hurting. And not just in Afghanistan. There are places all over this world where they're not experiencing the freedom to gather and worship. There, there's terrible things that are happening in the people's lives who claim you as their Savior and their Lord, and they live out their faith in difficult places in the world. But God, our hearts specifically know about this situation in Afghanistan today. And we just lift them up to you. Father, we had a mission team from our church that went to serve Afghani missionaries and refugees this summer. So it's very real to us, the connections that have been made with people who love that region and who have given their lives for it. And God, now there are people who are literally giving their lives for the gospel. And as your church there worships you today and is having to figure out how to worship and gather or how to live their lives for your glory, I pray your power through your spirit will just overtake them. God, let the seeds of the gospel be planted even through suffering and through hardship and difficulty. We trust you for that. And God, as we think about where we are this morning, in this space that we have to, to worship you through song, to worship you through the reading and the teaching of your word, to worship you through fellowship with other believers, God, we pray that you would stir our hearts, focus and attention on you this morning. 
that there would be nothing that would be more important to us than the name of Jesus and the gospel of Christ and learning about our call and our responsibility to go into the world and make disciples. And so we ask and pray that you would teach us today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much. You can have a seat. And we're in a teaching series called Disciple because that's what we're to be in our lives following Jesus, but not only to be disciples, but to go and make disciples. And so the question this weekend that really kind of hit me and kept coming up was, we know what our command is to go and make disciples, but do we know how to do that? Would many of us say, I know what it looks like to go and make a disciple, to be someone on mission with Jesus, to know how to help someone grow in their faith and be discipled in Christ. Uh, and so I was thinking this weekend, Last week was the uh, induction ceremony into the NFL Hall of Fame. And if you're an athletic um, fan like I am, I almost said an athletic supporter like I am, but that has a wholly different connotation to it, doesn't it? Uh, and so I'm glad that I didn't say that out loud, and then I told you that I was thinking it anyway. So there you go. Um, but uh, man, just being someone who loves sports and who enjoys the athletic world, seeing guys who have retired at the top of their game, they are the best of the best. They have gone into now this Hall of Fame. And every time you see something like this, there's always a question that gets asked. What are you going to do in this next season of your life? And what are you going to miss the most about playing football? And it always, it's the same, the same answers, right? The guys will go, well, I'll tell you what I'm not going to miss. <laughs> I'm not going to miss early morning workouts, and I'm not going to miss weight rooms, and I'm really not going to miss coaches yelling at me and being in my face and all the different stuff that comes up with that. But here's what I'm going to miss. I'm going to miss the guys that I've been on a team with. I'm going to miss the locker room. I'm going to miss bus rides and flights and hotel rooms where we would just be together as a team. That's what I'm really going to miss. And the reason that guys say that is because we are wired as human beings for connection. We're wired for relationship. And that's not just a Christian thing that we don't just say that, well, hey, as Christians, God created us to be in relationship with other people. We're wired to connect because Jesus saved us and changed us and he's making us be like him. This is a universal thing for every person on the planet. No matter how much of an introvert you might be, you would still say on some level, I need relationships. Even if it's only a few relationships, I need some other people to be around me. And so this is played out in sociology and psychology. In fact, uh, a man named Matthew Lieberman, who is a sociologist from UCLA, wrote a book called Social, Why Our Brains Are Wired to Connect. And here's what Mr. Lieberman wrote. He said, being socially connected is our brain's lifelong passion. It's been baked into our operating system. Right now, listen to what he says next. Across many studies of mammals, from the smallest rodents all the way to us humans, the data suggests that we are profoundly shaped by our social environment and that we suffer greatly when our social bonds are threatened or severed. We may not like the fact that we are wired such that our well-being depends on our connections with others, but the facts are the facts. We need each other. Is it any wonder then 
that in Jesus' method of making disciples, part of the core thing that he did was to connect people to one another. That was what Jesus did. And so we're talking about Jesus' method of making disciples. We're looking at scripture and seeing how Jesus did this with his disciples in a way that helped them change the world. And here's what we find. We call it the SCMD method of discipleship. It stands for share, connect, minister, and disciple. This is Jesus's method, and we're just taking this and breaking it down so that we get it. But it's helpful to think about discipling people through various stages of spiritual development. And in the same way that we develop physically in life, we develop spiritually. We might put these two things side by side and say, let's make the comparison that just as a person is born as an infant, becomes a child, then a young adult, uh, then a, a parent themselves or a grandparent, like we move through stages of life. The same thing is true in our spiritual development. And so last week, we talked about what it looks like for people who are spiritually dead. They don't know Jesus. What do they need? Well, they need that first letter in the Share Connect Minister Disciple. They need someone to share with them. They need to have the gospel shared with them. They need a believer in Christ to share our lives with them and to share the gospel of Jesus. And then hopefully when somebody becomes a follower of Christ and steps into that infant stage of life, we ask the same question. Well, now in a spiritual infancy stage, what do they need? Well, they need somebody who's going to share their life with them, who's going to share truth with them, who's going to share passions and disciplines and habits so that they know how to grow and mature and become a follower of Christ themselves. And so physically, we leave that infancy stage and we move to the next stage. Now in, in physical life, what do we call people who move from infancy to the next stage? What would you call that? Children, like a child. And the same thing is true when it comes to our spiritual development that we grow from being a spiritual infant to being a spiritual child. And so we want to help people know what it looks like to be a child. Now, here's the rub in some of this. We can easily identify physically where someone is. We go, oh, look, that little boy is about four or five years old. Look, a child. He's not an infant anymore. He's a child. He's not quite a teenager yet, but he's a child. But in our lives, spiritually, it's a little harder to figure out where we are in that journey. You might be 30 or 40 or 50 years old, but really still think of yourself or be a physical or spiritual infant or child. Like you've never grown past those early stages of following Jesus. No one ever helped you learn how to take stages and steps in maturity. And so we have to learn where are we. And so the author of Hebrews talked about people who had been Christians for a while, but had never really progressed in their spiritual journey. They just remained infants. And it's a dangerous place, I think, for us to be. We want to help people move from one stage to the next, from infancy, you've become a believer in Christ, to now what are you going to do as you walk with him and know him and love him? Here's what the author of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. This will be on the screen for you. It says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God and his word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And so the author of Hebrews here tells us as we develop, we move from the stage of infancy, we want to get off of spiritual milk and just elementary basic teachings about God and, the, and scripture and, and life with each other. And we want to move on to more mature things. He says, but the problem is so many of us get stuck 
in an infancy state. We never move into that category of being a child of Christ and then continuing to grow into those things. But so we ask ourselves the question, then, well, what does a child need? Physically, what does a child need? Well, lots of things, right? A physical child needs somebody who's going to nurture them. They need somebody who's going to help feed them and clothe them to a certain age and extent. And they need good stability. They need patterns of play and rest. They need help with all kinds of activities. The list could just go on and on and on when we think about a physical child and what they need. But what about a spiritual child? What does a spiritual child need? Well, a spiritual child needs to connect. A spiritual child needs to connect in a big way. If you're taking notes this morning, I just want to write, ask you to write a couple of things down that we need to learn to connect. And you go, okay, well, connect to what? We need to learn to connect to God and have a relationship with him that we're constantly growing in our understanding of who he is and, and what he's about and, and what his passions and dreams are for us. We need to connect to God. And the second thing is we need to connect to other believers. We need to find our way into relationship with others, that we're not meant to do this life following Christ alone, but we're called to a place where we said, I want a deepening relationship with other people. And then the third thing that we're going to do is we want to connect people to their purpose, to the God-given purpose that they've been called into. What has God called all of us to do? As we become followers of Jesus, we're meant to serve our world and specifically to go make disciples. And so that's what we're talking about as we think about these things. Jesus did this with his disciples. And we see the disciples then leading the early church in the same way. And so I want to just take a look for a few minutes this morning at some passages of scripture to see what Jesus does in the gospels and what his disciples do in the book of Acts to help people connect to go, we've, we've shared the gospel with you. You've come into faith in Christ. Now let's help you connect with God, connect to other believers and connect to your purpose. What's God called you to do? So here's where we see in John chapter three, verse 22. It says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and he baptized. Like Jesus connects with them deeply. Then Mark 9, 30 and 31 says, they left that place and they passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. Again, there's this connection. Jesus wants to be alone with them. Luke 9, 10, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. And it was always important for Jesus to connect with his disciples. And I can imagine, we don't get this spelled out to us in scripture, but I can imagine when Jesus would get along with his disciples, he had an agenda. Like he had things he wanted them to know and understand. And primarily, I think Jesus wanted to connect them to God. And he go, I want you guys to know my father. He's the one who sent me. He's the reason I'm here. And I want you to know him like I know him. And the best way to do that was to get to know Jesus. Right? Because Jesus said about himself, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So as you get time with me, you get to know me, you get to know the heart of God, you get to know what God is like. So Jesus withdraws with his disciples multiple times in the gospels and says, I just want time with you because I want to connect you to my father. But in doing that, he also connects them to one another. Like you can just imagine them sitting around campfires and hanging out and having nights in, around tents and different things like that, where they're just spending time together. They're saying, I, we're just going to be connected 
And in the middle of all that, Jesus is also teaching them about their purpose. What are you supposed to do? Jesus is instilling in them the life rhythms of what he's about so that when he leaves, they're ready to go and do the same thing that he's doing. They didn't get it at the time, but Jesus continually is investing in them to be discipled so they can make disciples. And that's our call in our life too. For me right now, I'm discipling three men and we started this process about a year ago. And when we started out, I told them up front, guys, here's the deal. I want to invest in your life. I want to pour into you with some specific things with the goal and objective that whenever we're done with this, if it's a year from now, a year and a half, two years from now, that I'm going to release you to go do the same thing, that you're going to get three or four or five other guys around you, just like I'm doing, and you're going to disciple some other people. So the goal is I'm going to invest in you so that you know how to go and invest in others. So this past week, we're about uh, two thirds of the way through our time together. It's been a little over a year. We've probably got 10 or 12 more weeks that we're gonna be together and I've been starting to challenge them more boldly and going, hey, the time is coming really soon that you're gonna go and do what we've been doing and you're gonna do it with some other guys. And so let's really dial in here and figure out what is it you're supposed to be getting from me so that you can go and do this yourself. And that's what Jesus was doing with his disciples. And as we've grown together as a group, we've learned how to fall in love with Jesus more. We've connected with God in some incredible ways. I love hearing stories of these guys just going, man, I, I know Jesus better now than I did a year ago. This has been incredible. And we've built community with each other. We hold each other accountable. We pray with one another. We hang out together. We do things outside of just our group time. And we spend time with one another. And then we're learning and figuring out this call. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus who's going to go make disciples of Jesus? That we're going to invest in the lives of other people. And so that's been the goal. And Jesus did these things with his disciples. That's how he led them. And then guess what his disciples did as the church launched in the book of Acts? They followed the same methodology that Jesus did. Look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. As people have become followers of Christ, verse 42 says, they, the new Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to see this. There's three things here that I want you to get. Number one, when we think about these men who had been discipled by Jesus, they did the same things that he did to help form the early church. Here's the first thing. They connected people to learn about God through teaching. It says they were all together and they would get with the apostles to be taught by them. So the apostles are teaching these new disciples, these new converts to Christianity. They're saying, we want to spend time with you to teach you. The second thing, they connected believers together for fellowship sharing life with one another. They go, well, listen, we're all together all the time. Did you notice how often they meet together? Daily. They would meet together in the temple courts and they would share meals with one another and they shared common goods with one another. They helped each other out. They built a community. They connected to other believers. 
This is not just about, I know Jesus and I'm going to hang out over here in my little holy huddle with him. This is about saying, I know Christ and my relationship with Christ propels me to want to be with other followers of Christ and to build relationship and community with others. And then thirdly, they connected people to their ultimate purpose, which was making disciples. You see in the very last verse there, verse 47, the Lord added daily to their numbers those who were being saved. How do you think he did that? Do you think it was just miraculous that people just walked up and went, you know, I just have all of a sudden started feeling like I should be a Christian. I don't think so. I think that the Christians were going out into their community and sharing what they knew of Christ with people who didn't know Christ and inviting them to come and be a part of the community. And as they shared their faith with unbelievers, people were converted to the faith. And as they watched the disciples live out, the apostles live out their faith, the new Christians live out their faith, they saw something that was powerful and intriguing about people in the Roman Empire who would share their goods with one another, who would fellowship together in extravagant ways, who would eat meals together, who liked spending time with one another. They'd say, that's beautiful. That's a picture of life that I want to be a part of. And as a result, God adds to their number daily those who are being saved. Can you imagine if we as a church were living out those things, learning to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, being in relationship with one another in life-altering ways, that we would go out and seek those who don't know Christ and share our faith with them and help them connect to the body. Because that's how we make disciples. That's our purpose. It's our mission. And so this is what we see. Now for us at GFC in our life groups and through individual discipling relationships, we seek to connect people in these same ways. We want to connect people to God. We want to connect people to one another. And we want to help you find your purpose and your mission in life to go out and make disciples. And we do that through this avenue of life groups. And so the questions that we really have to ask ourselves then uh, are three, and they revolve around this. Number one, how deeply do I feel connected to God? Do you really feel a sense of deep connection to God? Is he your all in all? How connected are you to him? Are you in relationships that encourage your growth spiritually and hold you accountable to pursuing God and his truth and living in obedience to him in your daily life? How connected are you to God right now? The second question is, how connected are you to people? Now, that seems like a really easy question for us to answer in our world of social media where we're all connected to everybody and we have everything in our, the world at our fingertips and we can hear from other sides of the globe what's going on. Uh, and so we're deeply connected, right? In fact, let's just take a little survey here for just a second. We're going to do this with Facebook because it's probably the most common, but all the teenagers are going to be like, oh, you silly old people with your Facebook. Uh, we've got our Instagram and Snapchat and all these different things. But uh, if you're old in the room like I am, let's raise your hand with me for a second. We're going to do a survey. I want you to raise your hand and keep it up as long as this applies to you. How many of you on Facebook? Let's just see. How many of you are on Facebook? Let's just start there. All right. A lot of hands go up. How many of you have at least 10 friends on Facebook? Keep your hands up. Uh, all right. A uh, hundred friends. Good. All right. A couple of hands already went down. We're losing some people. Uh, anybody have 200 friends on Facebook? 500 friends on Facebook. Okay. A few more hands going down. Anybody got a thousand friends on Facebook? Oh, we still got a couple. All right. We've we got some competition here. Three people in the room. All right. How about 1,500? Let's keep going there. You got 1,500? All right. I'm still in. Uh, 2,000. You got 2,000 friends on Facebook? All right. We oh, it's just me and you now. All right. I have, I have two... 2,100 and some odd friends on Facebook. You have 
Oh, I beat you. Yes. All right. Fantastic. I feel so good about that. Uh, I was really thinking that there was going to be somebody in here that was going to be like, oh, I've got like 5,000 friends. Like, what are you, the governor of the state? I don't know what's going on uh, that you have that many friends. Here's the deal, though. Uh, according to a, a website called goodtherapy.org, they would say this in a recent study that was, uh, that was done. The average person has 155 friends on Facebook, but they only consider 43 of the people on Facebook that they know to be genuine friends. 43 people are genuine friends. And when asked, if you were in trouble, how many of your Facebook friends could you count on? The answer was four. I've got all these friends, but when life really gets hard, there's probably four that I could count on. And why this is so important to us in the body of Christ and why we talk about it and why Jesus' method was to connect people into the body was because when life gets hard, and even when life's easy, we need each other. We need one another in deep and profound ways. We need to connect. And so we work to do that. The goal for our church, and we say this pretty often, is this. Not that you know everyone. Right, like you don't know everyone in this room and we have a whole second service that you don't know people there. The goal is not for you to come to our church and know everyone. The goal of our church is that everyone is intimately known. We want everyone to be known and known well. And we think that best happens when we put people into community in our life groups so that you can go from this room where you just sit and listen to somebody talk and sing songs and you sit in a row to where you're in a relationship with others, to where you're in community with other believers. So that's why we stress so much the need for us to get connected into life groups. The final question is how connected do you feel to your purpose in being part of God's kingdom? You were saved to serve and you are saved to fulfill the great commission. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I've commanded you. And Jesus says, as you do that, I'm with you always, to the very end. I'm there, I'm with you. And so for us, when we ask these questions, and as we close this morning for this part of our worship service, we're just going to ask you to think on those things. And so I'm going to ask Don to come back up. He's just going to play for a minute. And we're going to have a time where we can just kind of respond and meditate through some things. These questions are going to be on the screen. And I just want to leave you in a place this morning that you can think through this and ask these questions for yourself. How connected am I to God? How connected do I really feel to people in our church? And how connected am I to the purpose that Jesus has for me as a Christian? And so as we close this part of our service up this morning, I'm going to pray. And as I do, we're going to leave some space open here. And then in a few minutes, Andy's going to come forward and he's going to have some next steps for us to take today because we're going to dismiss from this room a little early this morning and we're going to go out into the gathering area. There's going to be an opportunity for you to sign up for a life group and to take that jump in to relationship and connection. And so I want us to be thinking about how we do that today. And then you're also going to hear a story this morning about how somebody recently in our church has taken that same jump to get connected 
and what it's meant to them. So if you will, just pray with me. And then I want to leave you with these questions just to ponder on your own for a minute. So God, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for the way that you teach us. We thank you, God, for having a plan, for taking what you did with your disciples and multiplying that out, Jesus, that you had a purpose in mind and a strategy in mind and a methodology in mind that would help us to know what are we supposed to be doing? So how connected are we really to you? And how connected are we really to those in our church? Do we smile at people in the halls when we pass by, but we don't really know them? Do we sit in rows around each other, but don't really know each other? Do we come here and, and feel known? And then God, how are we doing with connecting to our purpose? You commanded us when we came into faith in you to take the next step of going and helping others connect with you, to make disciples of Jesus, teaching them to obey, baptizing them, helping them find their purpose, helping them grow from infancy to childhood and beyond. And as we continue in this series to find out what it looks like to be a young adult in our faith and then a parent in our faith who can replicate these things. So God, help us just to wrestle through some of these ideas and then find our place. And I pray for those this morning that need to connect in a deep way. We ask for those things in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.